you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why? Because it is God speaking to us with authority. It's the final authority. With clarity, we can understand it. With sufficiency, it meets our deepest needs. And with necessity, we must have God speak to us. So, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings 17. We're starting a new series on the person of Elijah. Elijah. Now, starting a new series is exciting and stressful. Uh, as Because as no matter how much time you put in to start it, at the beginning, you never know quite where God's going to take us and what God's going to show us. So it's an exciting time. And look with me at 1 Kings 17.1. This verse kind of sums up his whole life. And everything in this series, everything about it, kind of really kind of flows from this verse. Look at it with me. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite who was of the settlers settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah. So, I want you to take a few minutes there at your table. When you hear the name Elijah, what comes to mind? What questions does that raise? Elijah. And maybe you'll turn to your neighbor and say, I don't even know who this dude is. I don't know. So, just, just real briefly, what comes to your mind when you think? So, tell your neighbor there, what comes to your mind when you hear the name Elijah? All right, what are some of the things that come to mind? Real quick, just shout it out. What comes to mind? What? Prophet. Prophet. What? Strange? Rain. Okay, yeah. Strange comes to my mind. Elijah's just plain strange. But yes, rain. What else? What over here? What? Supplied to the widow. Ministered to a widow. Yes, yes, all sorts of different things. Well, in the New Testament, and I have this verse in your notes, James chapter 5, 17 through 18, kind of gives the, uh, the, what I want, the direction I want to go today in introducing Elijah in this series. Notice what it says about Elijah, James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So you see in this verse that uh, Elijah was ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. He was a guy just like us, and yet he he, he could control the weather, which would have been nice to be able to do yesterday, right? How many of you, you know, said... Do not snow, and it did not snow. Snow, and it doesn't. My wife would always be saying snow because she likes snow, but I don't know if, did you like it yesterday? You weren't feeling good. She didn't feel good. She sat in a cold, dark house without heat, not feeling good the whole day by her choice, let me say. You know, I chose to leave the house and go watch the game. So that's what we did. Now, Elijah 
was extraordinary. He could change the weather at the drop of a hat, was fed by ravens. He multiplied food for a widow. He called down fire. He ran crazy fast. He could run a marathon at sprint speed. He raised the dead, and he did this all wearing a camel hair suit. That's pretty extraordinary, right? And yet, this verse tells us he was ordinary. And as we look at his life, we're going to see that Elijah was just like us. He got depressed. He surrendered to self-pity. He burned the candle at both ends. He exaggerated his own importance. And he hid from scary people. Now, can you relate to any of that? Can you relate to that? Sure, we can. Elijah was just like us, yet here's the radical thing. He remained loyal to God in times of apostasy. He remained loyal to God. And that's what I've really entitled this series, Elijah, Loyalty in Times of Apostasy. And I think that summarizes his life. So what I want to do is, by God's grace, ask him to use this series to enable you to be the same way. Because you're ordinary but you can demonstrate loyalty even in the worst of times. So today is an introduction. We're going to ask two questions. What's so extraordinary about ordinary Elijah? And how can we personally benefit from this series? So let's dive in. What's so extraordinary about ordinary Elijah? And the first thing you notice is the amount of space that is given to him in the book of First and Second Kings. The amount of space that is given to him and his disciple. So you got, I love these you know, names, you got Elijah, which means my God is Yahweh, and you've got his disciple, Elijah. Shah, you know, so you get those guys confused. But since Elijah is a product of Elijah's ministry. We're gonna, we're gonna, Elijah is, is a reflection of Elijah, so the whole ministry goes together. Now, First and Second Kings, their stories are found in both books. And First and Second Kings, originally and ideally, is one book. It was the book of Kings that's been divided up into two parts. So it has a total of 47 chapters. Out of those 47 chapters, 19 of them are devoted to the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha, which means 40% of the book of Kings is devoted to these guys. Elijah must be extraordinary, even though he's ordinary. All right? And so that's pretty amazing in itself. Now, those 19 chapters are not all directly about Elijah or Elijah, but they span the time of their life and ministry, and it all relates to them. And so their story bleeds from uh, 1 Kings 17, which we just read, 1 Kings 17, 1, where Elijah bursts onto the scene, to 2 Kings 13, where Elijah, his disciple, dies, and even in death, Elijah performs one last ministry. Elijah dies, and they bury him, and then some other dude dies, and they throw his body in Elijah's grave, and the guy comes back to life. Okay, that, I mean, strange rain, you know, strange rain is going on. It's weird, this is a weird book. We're going to look at that. And if you look at that chart that you have there in your notes, 
the story of these two men climaxes. It's in the center. It's the pivot of the whole book of Kings. So, number one, the amount of space. What's so extraordinary about ordinary Elijah? Number two, Elijah is one of only two men who never dies in the Bible, but is raptured. Raptured means to be taken up. Uh, taken up alive into heaven. He's one of only two men. Who's the other guy? Enoch. Yeah, Pastor Bruce preached through first Genesis 1 through 11. Enoch's the other guy. In Genesis 5.24, it says this, Enoch walked with God and he was not. God took him. So he's just walking with God. It'd be like having your devotions, having your quiet time with the Lord, and all of a sudden the Lord says, you know what, I enjoy spending time with you so much. Come on up here. And up he went. Hard question for me, you. Does the Lord know us that well? Do we spend that kind of time with him where he would want us up there? But notice Elijah. Elijah. 2 Kings 2.11. We're going to see in the book of 2 Kings, Elijah dies, but Elijah is taken up. Notice 2 Kings 2.11 says this, As Elijah and Elijah were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. You always wondered where that movie got its name. There appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind. That's basically a tornado into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. He saw Elijah no more. This guy's not only just raptured up, but God sends his fiery chariots and horses of fire to in a whirlwind. I don't, I don't, it was just radical, and he does not die. Now, both Enoch and Elijah were prophets who were bold to proclaim God's wrath against professing believers who were apostatizing. They were falling away from the faith. When we studied the book of Jude, if you go to the book of Jude, you see that Enoch was a prophet who predicted these words. Way back, seven generations after Adam, here's what Enoch predicted. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Apparently, ungodliness was a problem, okay? Four times in there. My point simply being, these two men were close to God, they loved God, they knew the heart of God, and yet they both are prophets who speak against God's people falling away from the faith, and they speak to the ungodliness of their times, and God was pleased with them to the point where they are both raptured up. They do not experience death. Third, there's another extraordinary thing about ordinary Elijah, and it's this. Elijah is one of only two men who were glorified with Jesus on the Mount, on the mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up the mount, a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he was glorified, and there were two men with him, Elijah, and who was the other man? Moses. So, I mean, Elijah runs in really good company, 
Are you, are you getting this? And so he's one of only two people who, after they been went to heaven, were glorified on earth in the presence of Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, because I want you to get a little bit of this context. Matthew 16 and the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's begin in verse 28. Matthew 16... Verse 28, Matthew 16, verse 28. This is kind of the intro to the transfiguration. Notice what verse 28 says. Truly I say to you, Jesus is speaking, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Okay, so there's some people who are, who, he was talking to a group, some of them were not going to taste death until they actually saw the, the Messiah come in his kingdom. Now look at the next verse, the very next verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Kind of a horrible chapter break, okay? Chapter breaks aren't inspired, and this one is not. Look at verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led that. So he said, some of you are going to see this, and indeed, some of them did. Three guys, Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. He was changed. He was transformed before them. And his face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And so here's the incarnate son of God who kind of pulls back his human flesh to unveil all of his glory in human flesh. So he who he really was was just revealed in all its glory. And there's Moses and Elijah and the three of them are chatting it up. Okay? And so let's keep reading. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. All mountaintop experiences are great. Don't you wish life was just a continual mountaintop? But we live east of Eden. That's not how we live. He says, we ought to stay here. If you wish, I'll make us three tabernacles, tents, dwelling places. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we'll just sit and look at your glory and just hang out here and have Bible study all the time. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, God's Shekinah glory. And behold, a voice out of the cloud. They're having like a a Moses-type Sinai experience, a revelation, and it says this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. They were terrified. Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus Himself alone. And let me just say, That is what all the prophets are doing. That is what all the Bible is doing. It's continually trying to get us to focus on the glory of Jesus alone. So one of the goals for this series is not to focus on Elijah, but focus on the God of Elijah and the glory of God in the person of Christ. Now, that passage should raise your Bible student questioning. Okay, We, We have Bible students here like to ask questions. What should you be asking? What in the world were they talking about? 
What in the world was Elijah, Moses, and Jesus talking about in that glory cloud? Well, Luke 9.30, and I think I have it in your notes, tells us. Because you have all these, you know, uh, you got the gospel accounts telling you the same thing from a dis- different perspective. And here's what Luke 9.30 says. Luke tells us, And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So here's Moses and Elijah speaking with the glorified Jesus, and what were they talking about? His departure from Jerusalem. How was that? What, what's that about? How did Jesus leave Jerusalem? Crucif- he, he left it in a cross, and he was buried. And then, how did he leave Jerusalem? He raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. So they're talking gospel. They're talking about how Christ is going to die, be crucified for the sins of the world. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise, and then he's going to ascend, and he's going to reign in heaven. They're talking about the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They're talking about the fulfillment of the law that Moses gave. They're talking about the fulfillment of all the promises and predictions of the prophets that Elijah represents. And that's what they were talking about. Now, do you know that the transfiguration was a preview of coming attractions? There's more into it than just the crucifixion. It's a preview of coming attractions. Why do I say that? Because in Matthew 16, 28, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Six days later, He took them up and they see it. So here's here's what I want you to understand. They're talking about the first coming of Christ and the crucifixion, burial and resurrection, but they're viewing the second coming of Christ, of how He's going to come to the the Mount of Olives in all His glory and bring His kingdom. Do you, so they're basically seeing all of redemption history being unveiled in the person of Christ. Now, how was it a, a preview of coming attractions? Well, I basically just told you is that when he said, look, some of you are going to see me before you die, you're going to see me coming in all my glory in my kingdom. And then six days later, he shows Peter, James, and John him in all his glory and how indeed he will land on a mountain in the second coming and fulfill that. But what's interesting is one of those three guys, the apostle John, not only saw the Mount of Transfiguration, but he lived, he's the only disciple that wasn't martyred, he lived and was exiled on the island of Patmos, and what did he see on the island of Patmos? He got the revelation of the whole book of Revelation. So he not only saw the Mount of Transfiguration glory, but he got to see all the unveiling of the day of the Lord in the whole book of Revelation. Isn't that, that's interesting to me. And you know what's interesting about the book of Revelation? In that book of Revelation, there's two witnesses in Revelation 11, there's two witnesses who are unnamed, 
but performed the very same miracles that Moses and Elijah performed. And these two witnesses show up the last half of the tribulation, seven-year tribulation. They show up in the last three and a half years after the Antichrist has revealed himself and they prophesy and they point, they, they, they rebuke and warn of the apostasy and the ungodliness of the Antichrist while performing the miracles that are just like Moses and Elijah. So the question becomes, who are these two witnesses? Well, I, I tend to think it's Moses and Elijah. Definitely Elijah, most likely Moses. Why? Because they performed these same kind of, uh, of miracles and Jewish tradition said that Moses and Elijah would show up before the second coming of the Lord. Others think it's Enoch and Elijah. Why would they think that? Because these two witnesses also end up dying and the only two men that never died in the history of the Bible is Enoch and Elijah. So these two witnesses, some people think they come back and it's appointed unto men once to die and so they end up dying and then they're resurrected immediately or three days later. Well, here's what's important about that. The two witnesses, like Elijah whose life we're going to study like Enoch that we've already seen, were prophets who were bold and powerful and loyal witnesses in times of apostasy. In fact, in the greatest time of the greatest apostasy, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's what I want you to see. Elijah and Moses were transfigured. This guy is extraordinary, yet he's ordinary. So let's keep moving. Number four, another... Uh, extraordinary, but uh, extraordinary thing about ordinary Elijah is this. Elijah has a profound connection to Moses, the lawgiver. He has a profound connection. There's a lot of parallels between Elijah and Moses. So, as I said, I believe Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the rest of the Old Testament, the prophets in the writings. Let me give you some similarities between Elijah and Moses. Both received revelation from Yahweh on Mount Sinai. We studied Exodus. We saw Moses getting that revelation on Sinai. We're going to see in the story of Elijah that he's going to run to Mount Sinai at a critical time in his life, and God's going to reveal himself to him just like he did Moses. Both, as we just saw, both Moses and Elijah were part of the transfiguration. Both confronted evil human kings on behalf of God's people. Who did Moses confront? What evil king? Pharaoh in Egypt, and we're going to see that basically Elijah's life is confronting the king of northern Israel, Ahab, and his wicked wife, Jezebel. Another parallel between these two guys is they both were fed daily bread by the Lord in miraculous ways. How did Moses get fed daily bread? What was it called? Manna, daily manna for 40 years. Woke up, God provided. We're going to see early on in Elijah's ministry, he is fed daily in the wilderness by ravens bringing him food twice a day. How would you like to be fed by ravens? Okay, 
I mean, some of us would just be glad anybody bringing us food that we didn't have to prepare, okay? And so that's what's going on there. Both perform mighty miracles. As I said, I think those are pictured in Revelation 11. Uh, they both perform mighty mir- miracles. Both predicted the curse of no rain. Okay, you mentioned rain. Both predicted that. Moses predicted it in Deuteronomy 11. Elijah read it in Deuteronomy 11, prayed it, and then rebuked and predicted its fulfillment as a curse on Israel for its apostasy. And I believe both will appear again before Christ's second coming, but let's, let's keep moving before we get to that. Number five. Number five, fifth extraordinary thing about ordinary Elijah is this. Elijah will appear before the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. Elijah will appear before the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. That makes Elijah pretty extraordinary, even though he's ordinary. So let's let's go back to Matthew 17. So turn with me in your Bibles. Go back to Matthew 17. And now the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are walking back down the mountain of transfiguration. So Jesus said, look, some of you are going to see me, or you're going to see Messiah come in all his glory with his kingdom. A week later, he takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and they see him, and they see Moses the law, and Elijah the prophets discussing the crucifixion, and they see the revelation of Jesus, he's the king, and he's going to come back in all his glory and set foot on the Mount of Olives. Well, after this little experience, they go back down the mountain, and here's what they're discussing. Verse 9, Matthew 17, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. In other words, don't talk about the glory of my kingdom before the suffering of the cross. You've got to get cross before crown. We don't discuss glory, kingdom glory before there is suffering on the cross for sin. And that helps us with our gospel. Bad news comes before good news. Okay, So he says, don't do this. And his disciples said, well, wait a minute. If you're bringing the kingdom, and if you're the king, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered them, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Now, strap in here. we got to think a little bit, okay? It's good to think about the Word of God. So let's think about this. The Old Testament taught that Elijah would appear before the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. The Old Testament expectation was this. E-M-K. If you asked a Jewish person, what is the end times? How, how is it going to unveil? They would tell you E-M-K. Okay, they would say, first, Elijah will come, then he will prepare the way for the Messiah, the king. All right, does that make sense? And when the king comes, he will bring with him 
His victorious, glorious kingdom. So, where did they get that? Well, again, turn your Bibles to Matthew, or I'm sorry, to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Why did they think EMK? And was it biblical? It was biblical. EMK, Elijah, Messiah, Kingdom. That was the that was the prophecy chart of the end times for the Jewish believer. And it comes from Malachi chapter 3. Now, here's what, just to make even more confused today, what's the last book of the Old Testament in an English Bible? Malachi. And it's very fitting. But in a Jewish Bible, it's not Malachi. It's Second Chronicles. But Malachi is still the last prophet of Israel to speak. So for us, it's the last book. For the Jews, it's the last prophet. Same idea. And here's the last revelation before 400 years of silence until John the Baptist shows up on the scene in the New Testament. Here's uh, Malachi 3.1. Look at Malachi 3.1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way or prepare the way before me, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the, and the messenger of the covenant, covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi 3.1 says, look, there's a messenger coming, doesn't say who it is, and he's going to prepare the way, familiar words to most of you, for the messenger of the covenant, for the Messiah, and the kingdom will come. Well, turn to Malachi 4. In Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6, we find out who this messenger is going to be. Look at Malachi 4, 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, they will be they will be shafted. They will be chaffed. They will be burnt up. They will be judged in God's judgment. And that day, and the day that is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves upon, from the stall. You'll cheer like chief fans over a championship win. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet for the day which I am preparing, that awful, glorious day of the Lord when judgment comes, the great tribulation, and the kingdom is fulfilled. That's what he's talking about. But look at verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. He says, look, before that day, as you wait for that day of the Lord to come, that fiery day of kingdom judgment and kingdom victory, as you wait for that day, live for God. Remember the law of Moses that he got on Mount Sinai or Horeb, same mountain. Behold, verse 5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So what's going on there? 
We know the messenger now is Elijah. So here's what he's saying. Hang on, because the kingdom's coming. In the meantime, trust God and obey His law, law of Moses, because one day I'm going to send Elijah, Elijah the prophet, and he's going to call for repentance and restore God's people so that they don't get judged in the coming judgment. And when Elijah comes, then expect the Messiah to appear in victory and to bring the kingdom and judge the wicked and establish his kingdom. E-M-K. Do you think Elijah is extraordinary? Yeah. Yeah, he's the forerunner. Okay? So, that's what I want you to get on this point. So, but let's keep moving because it gets interesting. Has the Lord come? Yes. Did Elijah show up before the Lord come? Did EMK take place? Has Messiah shown up once? Did Elijah come before him? Vicky says yes. How many say Elijah did come? Vicky, you have some followers. Gwen. How many say Elijah did not come? Am I the lone heretic in this group? Well, let's, let's, let's find out. Let's find out. Is the word of God... Now, what's the prediction that Elijah would come? And so, if, does, the God, does God fulfill his word literally or just symbolically? Is that a trick question? Yes, Jerry says, yes, I'm not going down this crazy path with you. Yes, to both. But it's always ultimately literal. Did Jesus literally come the first time? Yeah. Did he come and fulfill all the prophecies about? No, but he literally came. Will he come a second time to fulfill everything? Yes, he will. Same thing with Elijah. Let's take a look at number six. Elijah is extraordinary, ordinary because Elijah will come before the Christ and his kingdom comes just like John the Baptist already did. Just like John the Baptist already did. So, I have a little outline there for you, the prediction of John's birth. Here's what's interesting. Here's the key to the questions I've been asking you. Did, did Elijah come before, before Messiah came the first time? The answer is yes and no. John the Baptist was predicted to be a man who would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. That was predicted. And so he came in the spirit and power. Was he Elijah? No. Was he? Did he come in the spirit and power of Elijah before Messiah came? Yes. Okay. And there's all sorts of parallels between the life of Elijah and John the Baptist. Uh, they, they both lived in the wilderness, dressed like they lived in the wilderness, ate like they lived in the wilderness, and they were mountain men that rejected apostate Israel. That's why they lived in the wilderness. That's why they ministered, because they were saying, look, the temple is, uh, there's apostasy. They've fallen away. We're, I'm, I'm calling a remnant out from apostate Israel. I'm calling the loyal to the Lord. Get ready. The Lord is coming. Okay? Don't be fooled by apostasy. And so the pronouncement of Jesus 
is very interesting. I think I have in your notes there, Matthew 17. See, the disciples' minds are blown here on the transfiguration because they're like, well, if you're the king and you're, you're, you're coming, where's Elijah? Where's Elijah? And Jesus says, Elijah has come. Or first he says, Elijah will come. And then he says, Elijah has already come. Jesus, make up your mind. Elijah will come. Elijah has already come. He's come in the person of John. But Elijah is supposed to restore all things. What happened? What was John's... uh, How did John die? He was beheaded. What happened to the king when he comes? Was he victorious? No, he was crucified. So here's the point. John, the, the point is, they thought all this was going to happen in one single coming, but in reality, it happened in a first coming, and then it's going to happen completely in a second coming. Does that make sense? So in the first coming, who is Elijah? John the Baptist. And who is Messiah. Jesus, but he's crucified, right? And then he's risen, but he's going to come back again. And when he comes back again, who has to come before him? Elijah. And who's going to be Elijah this time? Elijah. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And then you start connecting if, and this is a big if, if one of the two witnesses is Elijah then you have a literal fulfillment. And this time when Jesus comes, is he going to be crucified by people? What is he going to do? He's going to bring that day of the Lord. There's going to be fire come down and God's people are going to be rescued and enter in to God's, Jesus' millennial kingdom for a thousand years and then that's going to go into the new creation. Isn't that cool? So, did Elijah come? Trick question. Yes and no. He came in the spirit. He came in the person of John the Baptist, who came in his spirit and his power. But literally, Elijah will come again. E M K. E M K. So, let me give you the last one. Elijah's ministry is one major peak in the mountain range of miracles in the Bible. Elijah's ministry is one major peak in the mountain range of miracles in the Bible. We're going to see wild miracles, right? Jerry, what did you call this? You taught on Elijah, and what did you call it? These stories... Yeah, these stories aren't just for... These stories aren't just for Sunday school, right? I mean, these are crazy stories that entertain kids, but the reality is they have a purpose and they have meaning. Here's what I want you to see. People have a tendency, when you read the Bible, you tend to think miracles were the normal way of life. And then you look at your life and you're like, why is my life so boring? What is wrong with me? Does God love me? Does God care for me? And here's the reality. I won't take you through that chart, but basically each one of those columns is a mountaintop of miracles that that inter, that interrupt the normal, boring faithful, loyal living of God's people. Does that make sense? Now, do miracles occur all the time in a sense, in some in one sense? Yes. I mean, God is answering prayer, but not in the way he did for Moses 
in the Exodus. Not in the way that we're going to see for Elijah. Not in the way when Jesus and his apostles. And not in the way that you see in the book of Revelation. Are you with me? So, we'll talk more about that when we get there. Now, how will you benefit from studying the life and times? Let me give you a couple ways. First of all, expect to be encouraged. Expect to be encouraged. All Scripture is profitable. Some celebrity pastors want us to unhitch from the Old Testament. We're going to hitch ourselves to the Old Testament because 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is profitable to equip the man and woman of God for every good work. Expect to grow in your godliness. Number two, expect to be warned to watch out for apostasy. Expect to be warned to watch out for apostasy. Enoch said it. Elijah's going to say it. But guess what? The New Testament says, watch out for times of apostasy. Next week, we're going to see how bleak and how bad the times of Elijah were. And I want you to understand, those are the days that we're living in. We're living in times of apostasy. And Elijah's going to equip us and say, watch out. Don't fall away from the faith. All right? And there's tons there. I can't get it. Number three, expect to be motivated to live out our loyalty to the I am God. Expect to be motivated. Wow. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Elijah's going to say to us, Don't follow Ahab and Jezebel. Don't follow the apostates. He's going to say, be the faithful, loyal remnant. Follow me out to the wilderness. God will provide. God will protect. Amen? This is going to be good. You're going to like this. Number uh, four, expect to be challenged to lead with a bold faith as spiritual leaders. Remember what Elijah was to do? I think this is important. Now, listen up real quick. Elijah is going to come before the end times and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. Listen, if you'll listen in this series, you'll learn how to be a bold spiritual leader in your family. You say, well, my spouse isn't a spiritual leader. You can be that spiritual leader. You say, I'm not married. You can be a spiritual leader. It doesn't matter. There's something to be learned about being bold. You're going to be motivated to stand up. Stand up and stand and be set apart from the unbelief of the culture around you. Number five, but we don't do that proudly. Expect to be humbled to worship the I Am God. Expect to be humbled to worship. I love this about Elijah in 1 Kings 19. I have been very zealous for the Lord. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. Who's your God? And do you boldly say it by your life and by your words? Yahweh is my God. Now, what I have for you to take is how to prepare your hearts. So I want you to read through the front of this and prepare your heart for this series. But on the back, There is loyalty in times of apostasy. I have a reading plan through the life and times of Elijah and Elijah. 
And so this is a 33-week plan. And so I would challenge you, if you don't already have them, I know some of you just probably started plans for reading the Bible. Stick with what you know what you got. But if you don't, or if you want to add this to what you're doing, read through this the next 33 days, and when you get to into it, do it again while we're going through this series. And it will give you the context. Because you're like, my head's swimming right now. Well, yeah, we just covered the entire what the entire Bible has to say about Elijah. Okay? Why? Because he was just like you, ordinary people, and God did extraordinary things. And you know what? God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people just like you and me. But we need to... We need to come before Him and say, My God is Yahweh. Jesus is the great I Am. All right, let's pray. Father, we come. And uh, that was a lot, but Your Word is awesome. And uh, Elijah is somebody that uh, we need to know about and we can learn from. So I pray that we would prepare our hearts like Elijah did. I pray we'd take this sheet, pray through it, look at it, read it, And I pray you would prepare us to encounter Elijah, but more importantly, to encounter you, the God of Elijah. And Lord, may we, no matter where we are, some are discouraged, some are despairing, some we're excited, excited about the chiefs, excited about a lot of things. But Lord, you want to do extraordinary things through ordinary us. Prepare us. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, pick up a, pick up a study sheet and a prayer sheet for the Maconde. And we'll tackle this next week.